0: In 1 John chapter 4, verses that I began with just a few minutes ago as we opened this second assembly, the Apostle John wrote and said, This commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. The word also means there's two commandments. There's the love of God and the love of brother in one short sentence in 1 John four twenty-one. This is his commandment that we've received of him. If we love God, we should love our brethren also. We should do both. So we've learned in the first assembly and been reminded that we should love the Lord our God and try to be like David and love the Lord with great zeal and great affection and want to praise Him and do things exceeding magnificent for Him. At the same time, we want to love our brethren because the two are attached. And when the Bible says all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, it means it takes both of them. In the table of ten, the first four pertain to God and the last six pertain to others. It starts with honoring father and mother, and it goes to thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's possessions. And so we have two tables of the stone and two parts of them, one directed toward God and one directed toward man. But we need to keep both to keep the whole law. Everything that God wants us to do can be kept by loving God and loving our brothers. First John 4.20 says, If a man say I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. Now that's awfully strong language, and here's how we escape it. I don't hate anybody. that's how we escape it. But we need to define hatred the way the Bible defines it. Do you know that Leviticus 19, 17, If you if you know that your brother is living in sin and you don't rebuke your brother, you hate him. That's right. Leviticus 19, 17 and 18. And that's where it's taught, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, which I'll show you. Why don't we go there right now? We don't have time to tell you that it's going to come later. Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19, we, we define hatred differently. We want to make hatred that I, I sit at home and, and think about premeditated murder. No, there's a whole lot of things short of that that the Bible considers hatred. The Bible considers you being angry with your brother without a cause as murder and against the Sixth commandment, according to Matthew chapter five, verses 21 through 28, 26. Here in Leviticus 19, let's see this commandment about loving our brother and loving our neighbor as ourselves. The Lord Jesus Christ quoted it in Matthew 22. Remember, he was tempted by the lawyer. Master, what's the great commandment? Jesus said, the first and great commandment is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. Where did he quote that from principally? Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. Then Jesus said, the second commandment is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. It's right here. Leviticus 19, 18. Thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. There it is. There's the commandment that Jesus referred to as the second commandment, there's where it's found in the Old Testament. And Moses, by the inspiration of God, added some words, I am the Lord. This is an important issue, and I put my I put my divine stamp of importance upon it with the words, I am the Lord. Thou shalt not avenge. Somebody does something wrong to you, you don't do it back. Somebody does something wrong to you, you don't bear a grudge toward them. You overlook it and forgive it and forget it. You don't talk about it to anybody else. People don't love me enough. People don't treat me right. You're full of hate. Get rid of your hatred. Why would you talk that way about anybody else? But they're not treating... No, you're wrong. Bearing the grudge, it doesn't matter what they're doing to you. It's are you treating them the way God wants you to treat them, and are you treating them the way you want them to treat you? That's what the Bible means when it says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor. You treat others the way you want them to treat you. You don't treat them the way they are treating you. Thou shalt not bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. We don't like people having grudges against us, therefore we shouldn't have grudges against anyone else. Verse 17, Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. That does not mean you sit around thinking of taking a six-inch blade and sticking it into their chest and twisting it. The Bible defines what it means by hating your brother in your heart. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. When you see someone sinning, you should correct them. Because what is love? The ultimate measure of love is helping a person, helping a person prepare to meet Jesus Christ. Is, is that about the highest definition you can think of? Helping another person meet God. It certainly isn't sending them an anniversary card or a birthday card, or buying them a present, or giving them 20 bucks for gas. Those are acts of charity that should and could be done in various circumstances, but there's a much higher standard. And that much higher standard is, how can I sacrificially help another person get closer to God and be ready to meet God? And when we see them living in sin, thou shalt in any wise, no matter what it takes, rebuke them for their sin. That is love now that isn't the love taught outside the love taught in other pulpits is a fuzzy wuzzy accept me as i am warm embrace of anybody go ahead and live any way you want to we're casual here about it but i love you in jesus name they don't know what jesus they don't know who jesus is as defined by the bible because jesus rebuked those that he loved as many as i love i rebuke and chasten revelation 3:19 and if you love you'll rebuke somebody in sin because you wouldn't want them to mess up their life in sin. If you're a parent you beat your child that you may deliver his soul from hell. Because you want to protect him from getting in trouble later by not being able to submit to authority. So you beat him now. That's love. That's tough love. That's bible love, but it's not the love taught elsewhere. Right. The love taught elsewhere is be gentle, you're so harsh. You're so cruel. Yes, just like Jesus Christ of the Bible. I'm sorry that it offends you, but I'm not very sorry. The Bible defines how we love God. The Bible defines how we love our neighbor. Right here. These are precious verses. People, we do not automatically think this way. Do you know how we think about love? Well, yeah, I know they're doing something wrong, but listen, I'm not perfect either. What does that have to do with anything? Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. You don't want to let that happen. Yeah, I know he's in sin, but listen, if I I go try to correct him, he's going to think that I'm holier than he is or something. I'm not. And listen, I'd be such a stickler and it's like being a fundamentalist and it's just picking all the time. Pick, pick, pick. I just love him. I I can't do it. I just love him. No, you don't. You hate him. If God defines it. It's amazing. Do our souls reason that way? I love peace. I I, I don't they're going to get upset. If I go rebuke them, they're going to get upset. They think that I'm trying to be some square, holy roly type of a person. They're not going to talk to me anymore. They're going to be upset. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon them. That's real love. That's real love. Right here in those two verses, Leviticus 19, 17, and 18, every time it's quoted in the New Testament, this is where it comes from. Jesus quoted in Matthew chapter 22. He quoted it many other places. Do you know that Jesus called loving your brother a new commandment and an old commandment? It was an old commandment because it came from the book of Leviticus. It was a new commandment because it was freshly emphasized by the Lord Jesus Christ who showed a perfect example of it and stressed it as the underlying measure of his religion. It did not God's Moral character and what God requires of his people did not change, but the emphasis changed. It's an old commandment and it's a new commandment. And that old commandment that you have heard from the beginning is what you ought to do. And that's to love your brother. Jesus taught it over and over. First of all, quoting from Leviticus nineteen seventeen, then saying it's a new commandment I've given you to love your brother. Let's look at how extensive it is. Look at Romans chapter 13. If you love your brother, you're not going to break any of the Ten Commandments toward him. You're not going to do anything wrong toward him. You're going to only do good things toward him that make him better and make him happy. Unless it's to rebuke and keep sin out of his life, then that might not make him happy until he realizes that you did it for his best interest. That's why we don't rebuke scorners. If someone's a scorner, if someone's a skeptic, we don't waste our time practicing Leviticus 19, 17, and 18 on them. Because the Bible tells us not to. Because you rebuke them, you get yourself a blot. They're going to scorn you and hate you for it. You rebuke a wise man, he'll love you for it. Every man shall kiss his lips that giveth the right answer. That's a huge difference from being hated for telling something good and being loved for it. Look at Romans 13 and see how a simple word... In Galatians 5, the commandment thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself is called a word. May I have a word with you? When we, when we say that, do we just say one word or do we have several? May I have a word with you? Does that usually mean I've got a few sentences? Amen. In Galatians 5 it says one word summarizes everything. And here, here it's summarized for us. Hebrew Romans Romans thirteen eight. Owe no man anything. Don't be in debt to any man. That doesn't mean you can't borrow money. If you borrow money from somebody and you're making your payments on time, you're not in debt to them. If you don't, if you don't understand the verse that way, then you don't understand that you're in debt to a hundred people right now. Because you all have obligations on, on you of things you have to do for the rest of this month, and that you, there's some things you have to do on August 1st. Some of you have employment contracts where it is understood either written or verbally that you're going to show up to work and give a two-week notice. Is that violating Romans thirteen eight? No, no, no. It's for you to quit, not give a two week notice if it's expected from you. I don't want to get off on that. Do you understand that? I've had people get so confused by Romans thirteen eight that they won't let anybody have a mortgage on their house because that's to owe somebody. There they sit. There they sit in an apartment with a three page document called a lease contract that's tighter than any mortgage. They can get thrown out of an apartment for not making their payment the next month faster than you can get thrown out of a house for not making your mortgage payment. But they say, I, I don't owe anybody. Yes, you do. If, if you don't make your payment by the 15th of the following month, the landlord can make your, the full contract due and owing of all the months yet unpaid. I am sorry for wasting your precious time if there's no one in here who's ever been confused by Romans 13.8, but I'm tired of having questions asked from Romans 13.8, Can I get a mortgage? Can you get a lease? Can you have a job? Should you have children since you owe them a meal before the sun sets? Owe no man anything. It means don't be in bondage or under obligation to somebody where you are not keeping your commitments toward them. And you know what? You'll have all your commitments paid up to date if you're practicing thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And that's what he goes on to explain. Romans 13, 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. Don't be withholding good things that you should be giving because you should love them. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this... This commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. This commandment, thou shalt not kill. This commandment, thou shalt not steal. This commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness. This commandment, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. That is a wonderful expression describing to us the moral character of God's law before Sinai, at Sinai, after Pentecost, and in 2009. Because if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're going to do everything toward them that is good and to their profit, and that's keeping the whole law. All the commandments 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. at 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 are listed right here. And any other commandment that you can think of that pertains to another person, you're going to fulfill it because you love them this is loving your brother it's a commandment in the bible it's called the royal law in james chapter 2 and verse 8 because it was given by a king it describes the conduct of a king it's the king of laws and your observance of it is kingly in conduct thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself there's so many verses about love look at first peter the epistle of first peter we'll grab one from each chapter the first 3 chapters anyway first peter chapter 1 the importance of loving the brethren there's so many references we can go to Colossians, Timothy, Thessalonians. Flee youthful lust, but follow after charity. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 22. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. That is how important loving the brethren is. You have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Unfeigned means not fake, not false, not hypocritical. Not just in word, but you actually perform and you actually show that you love others. Obeying the truth purifies your soul and it leads toward this great commandment, love of the brethren. In Arminian circles, faith is taught as the great Issue. Faith. Believe on Jesus. Invite Jesus into your heart. Accept Jesus as your personal Savior. Ad nauseum. Latin for until you throw up. They just go on and on and on about that. But you know, once you've heard the truth and you've believed the truth, it leads you to a higher calling. And that higher calling is love. We have obtained like precious faith From the Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Peter chapter 1. But add to your faith, virtue to virtue, knowledge to knowledge, temperance to temperance, patience to patience, godliness to godliness, brotherly kindness to brotherly kindness, charity. Well, that sounds redundant. 7 and 8 sound like the same thing. They're both important. And so there may be a little duplication there. But that's how important it is because you're climbing to a add, 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 add and build all the way up to where love is important because love is the greatest grace. Love shows the greatest work of the Holy Spirit. Love is something we need to work for. Faith is just the beginning. I believe there's a God. You know what James 2 says? You do well. Great accomplishment. Do you want a pat on the back? The devils believe and tremble. But what about love? 1 Peter one twenty two. I hope you like that, but we didn't finish the verse yet. Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Don't be content that your love for the brethren is unfeigned, meaning it is sincere. Why don't you work it up to a higher level of fervency? Get more passionate about it. That's 1 Peter one twenty-two. You would think that might be enough. But we come to chapter 2, verse 17. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Love of the brothers is right in there with fearing God and honoring the king. Chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil. That's the avenging from Leviticus nineteen eighteen, or railing for railing, but contrary wise blessing. The, over and over, the Bible shows us the importance of this. The importance is not, do you know the difference of the doctrine we teach in our church and what is taught in many other places? It's not programs. It's not the mission field. Where is the mission field in the epistles of Paul. This is our mission field, our brethren. We are to love them over and over and over. This is mentioned. But where does it say to love the lost? Even one. Love the brethren. The Lord's going to take care of the lost. And when, the, when we find the lost in our way, when we find the lost that are seeking the truth, we will do everything in our power to show them the truth. And they can take it or leave it. And we will wait for the next one for God to bring, along our, bring across our path. We will wait for the next eunuch that we are led by the Spirit to encounter who says, how can I understand these scriptures? I need some man to guide me. We'll say, I'd be happy to guide you in Isaiah 53. But we love the brethren. It's repeated over and over again. The difference in emphasis. If we follow the New Testament, if we follow the Bible, our emphasis is Godward and brotherward. It's not in programs. It's not in ministries. You know, I have the motorcycle ministry, or I have the parking lot ministry, or I have the light show ministry. It's Godward or otherward. It's God or others. The emphasis is on God and His children. That's where the thrust is over and over in the New Testament. How much should I love others? That's a good, I'm glad you asked the question. How much should I love others? You should love others as much as you love yourself. We are very defensive about ourselves. We are very compassionate about ourselves. We're very protective about ourselves. That's why Jesus said, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Because we already love ourselves. We expect quite a bit from others toward us. Therefore, we ought to give to them what we expect. We should love others as ourselves. Self-love is a lie of the devil. We don't need more self-love. We need less of it. We'd be happier if we had less of it and we're loving our neighbor more. The first character trait of the perilous times is men shall be lovers of their own selves. That is a trait of perilous times. Know this also, that in the last days perilous times shall come for men shall be lovers of their own selves. The best thing you can ever do for your children is to teach them not to love themselves but to love others. To learn to love others as themselves, to want to do good things and kind things for others instead of themselves. It's, I want my sister to have that present. I know it's my birthday. But I want my sister to have that present. I'll let, I'll let my brother go first. You know, wouldn't that be something? I want my brother to go first. Are you afraid? No. I just want my brother to go first. He deserves to go first. And brothers and sisters ought to love each other that way. You know, it's hard for me sometimes watching brothers and having a brother of my own, why the Bible would say brotherly love. Mom, you can smile. Brotherly love. But we should have it. And it should be among brothers and sisters. And it should be trained into our children... Not to love ourselves, but to love others, to be a servant. We should have the mentality of the Lord Jesus Christ who came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. What does that word minister mean? Some lofty title like reverend? No, no, no. A lofty title like servant or slave. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And that should be our mentality toward everyone else. Our schedule is second to theirs. Our money? is second to theirs. Our time, second to theirs. Our effort, we should want to give it to them. This is loving the brethren. It's a commandment. It's throughout the New Testament. How much should I love others? As much as I love myself. I should treat others the way I want to be treated. That's the golden rule. That's taught in the Bible. It's Luke 6.31. Who is my neighbor when it says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself? Ah, Who is my neighbor? It's not your friends. Though it may include your friends. It's those people who would, might be considered your enemies. Cultural enemies. The cultural enemy of the Jews was the Samaritans. And the cultural enemy of the Samaritans was the Jews. Do you know what one of the ugly names was the Jews called Jesus? Thou art a Samaritan. The woman of Samaria, when she came out to the well and Jesus said, Would you give me a drink? She said, why did you ask a drink from me? There's no Jew alive that would drink out of a cup handed to him by a Samaritan. This is in John chapter 4. The Samaritans, the Jews, have no dealings with each other. Why did, You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, why did you ask me that? I say all that to say this. When Jesus gave the, good, the parable of a good Samaritan, oh, is it sweet and perfect. A Samaritan was going on business down to Jericho. Or from Jericho. Forgive me if I'm getting a little confused. From Luke ten twenty-five through thirty-seven, and he finds a wounded Jew in a ditch. A priest had a Jewish priest had already passed by and said, "I don't want to get involved. Look at that bum. He probably deserves it. He was probably out here hitchhiking, and you know, hitchhiking's a sin." That's what the, the priest may have said. That the priest was wrong. The priest just the priest said, "I didn't see it." and he walked. The Bible, Jesus said that he walked on the other side of the road. Then a Levite came along, saw the wounded Jew, his own countryman, takes the other side of the road, doesn't want to help the wounded Jew. But here comes a Samaritan. The Samaritans don't like Jews, and the Jews don't like Samaritans. The Samaritan goes over, gets that wounded Jew up, puts him on his transportation, pours in oil and wine, and binds up his wounds the best he can, patting his head and telling him everything's okay I'm going to take care of you that's not there I know please forgive me if you think I've just done the Crosby paraphrase but I want you to think about the words of scripture and the details all lead to one answer who is my neighbor he takes that man to an inn and he charges the innkeeper take care of this man till he's better here's money for what I, how long I think it'll take But if he uses any more, when I stop back by through here, I'll pay the account up to date. That is how much we love, and that is who we love. That is who is my neighbor. Whoever God puts in your path doing your ordinary business, as you're going through life, and God puts someone in your path in trouble, they don't have to be a believer. But if God puts somebody in your path, now we don't go looking for them. The good Samaritan wasn't going from orphanage to orphanage paying money for all the little children that had been given up to adoption or given up to an orphanage. He wasn't doing that. Jesus never did that. No one in the Bible ever did that. What a waste of time, truly. You know why I say that? Because the Bible never did it, and so that's good enough for me. Jesus never took a collection for the Egyptians, and David never sent any of his money, nor did he send a good piece of flesh, a loaf of bread, and a flagon of wine to the Philistines, Hittites, Jebusites, Edomites, Egyptians, Assyrians, or anyone else but his brethren in the house of God. You say you're too hard. Show me where I'm wrong, and I'll be glad to say I'm too hard. I don't want a harder spirit than Jesus Christ. I want His. But I also want to be able to put our attention where it belongs so that we have enough energy, effort, emotion, and money to take care of the ones that we do encounter. Because if you watch TV all the time and try to take care of every starving person in the world and every orphan, you won't have anything left for the people of God. In your ordinary course of business, God can put a person there and that's your neighbor. It's not just the person living next door. That's a, that's a very narrow American modern definition of the word neighbor. It's not just your friend. Neighbor includes those that God brings across your path. It includes your enemies. You know, the Pharisees said, we should love our friends and hate our enemies. And Jesus said, no. You should love your enemies and do good to them that hate you and pray for them that despitefully use you because your Father which is in heaven does good to everyone that hates Him on earth. He sends His rain and sunshine on them. We must learn that to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the religion of Jesus Christ. This is true Christianity. It's not sending you to a mission field unless you want to look at your family, your church, your neighbors, as God defines neighbor as your mission field. This is Christianity. Love of God, love of others. Those that God brings into our lives. You know, it's a result of God's sovereign grace. The Bible says, By nature we were hateful and hating one another. I quote the verse often because I want you... you know who's, do you know who the we are? We. were sometimes foolish, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Yes. Paul and Titus. We were that way. But by nature, God changed us and He taught us how to love others. Yes. And we need to teach that to one another. Do you know you can know you're elect by loving one another? First Thessalonians chapter one verses two through four, Paul said, Knowing, brethren beloved, your election, because I've seen your labor of love. It's at risk. Why would the Bible say, Let brotherly love continue unless there are things to make it stop? Some of those things were mentioned in Leviticus nineteen eighteen. Something that an offense that causes us to want to avenge ourselves, an offense that causes us to want to bear a grudge. We can't have either. We can't have a root of bitterness. A root of bitterness will spring up and grow into something else. What will it grow? What does a root generally grow into? The biggest thing. It starts with a T. It's four letters long. Tree. A tree. A root of bitterness will springing up trouble you, and thereby many will be defiled. Hebrews twelve fifteen. I've mentioned it to you recently. Let brotherly love continue. There's a lot of resistance to it. My pride doesn't want to love. My schedule doesn't want to love. My time doesn't want to love. My money, I can use it better myself. That's how we all think in the flesh. But we've got to get over that. There's a resistance to it in the flesh. There's a resistance to it in the world. The world doesn't believe in living sacrificially. I mean, Robert Ringer wrote a book entitled Looking Out for Number One. And you know who number one was? It wasn't God. And it wasn't your neighbor. Who was it when when he wrote a book that was very popular bestseller, Looking Out for Number One? Who was number one? Yourself. When Whitney Houston sings the greatest love of all, what love is she talking about? The love for herself. And the love you ought to have for yourself. And the Bible tells us there's two commandments. Love of God, love of others. Because you already love yourself enough. We've got to keep things straight. This is the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a resistance to it. What keeps Christians from loving others? What keeps you from loving other people more? Is it selfishness? I'm pretty much a selfish person. I just like to do things my way, at my house, with my time, and use my money my way. Well, that's selfish. What keeps you from loving others more? Is it laziness? I, I just don't feel moved like some of the people in the church. Well, what is that? I know you're no, you don't feel moved. Well, what is it that doesn't get a person moving? It's laziness. They don't deserve my help. That's pride. I'm just not a good conversationalist. That's fear. What keeps you from loving brethren like you could? It's selfishness. It's laziness. It's pride. It's fear. It's sinful things that keep us from pouring ourselves out to others. Well, others just don't love me enough. That's why I get you all when you join the church. Because I'm sick of that one. The only people that can ever verbalize that are the most hate-filled people you will ever meet. If a person can ever say another person doesn't love me enough, they are guilty of such a wicked crime. Why don't you go love them instead of moaning and groaning about them not loving you enough? Where is that taught in the Bible? You're not being loved for obvious reasons. Go look them up in the Bible. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. Unfriendly people don't get loved. That's why when you join this church, I have a little question for you. I understand and I agree that I am joining this church to love and to serve and not to be loved and served. When you pull into this parking lot, you shouldn't be waiting for people to run to your door, drop to their knees, and thank the God of heaven that you arrived. You should get out of your vehicle, run to someone else's vehicle, drop to your knees, and thank the God of heaven that they arrived. Then see, if we all did that, then you would get somebody at your door once in a while. But it starts out by loving the brethren. Yes. It, it's amazing how we're twisted. Yep. you know. And it's all generated by self-love. They don't love me enough. What? There's nothing about you lovable. Right. First of all, that's just a general axiom of life. Second of all, you must be unfriendly. Because a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. Third, That's not the way to think. That's hateful. That's wicked. Why are you wanting other people to love you more? Why don't you go love them? Why don't you go serve the rest of the church? That's how we should always be thinking. What can I do for others? What can I do for others? What can I do? Don't ever let that pop up inside. There are certain thoughts that we are to smash. And one of them is, why didn't they do something for me? Why didn't they invite me over? Why didn't they give something to me? Why didn't they say hello to me this morning? Why didn't they hug me and tell me I'm the greatest thing they've ever met? All that goes together. Instead, we should always be thinking, who in here is suffering right now that I could go say a good word to? Who in here right now had something good happen to them that I could go commend them for that good thing that happened to them and rejoice together in the Lord? We should always be thinking about one another. Lord, help us. Help us do that. Did you know that there was a family moving this weekend? Did you know that there was a woman that had a baby recently and could have used some meals? Did you know that there was a work day recently on the church grounds? What you, would what'd you think about those things? And somebody will say, well, the more, the, the more I put out, it's just like everybody uses me. Every time I volunteer for something, I'm the only one. I end up doing it all. Oh. And then we have to read 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul said, The more I love you, the less I be loved. And yet, I'm committed to loving you and burning myself out for you, Corinthians. And listen, if there was one church where a man should have resigned and said, Bye-bye. It was the church at Corinth. And Paul stayed there. I want to get the words right because they're too good. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Listen, I will very gladly spend and be spent. Is that love? Amen. I will, listen, I will very gladly spend and be spent. Have nothing left. Though, the more I love you, the less I be loved. Second Corinthians 12, 15. That is a man who has learned the love of God for him and who is returning it to others. That is a lover. That is a great man. I will spend, no, I will very gladly spend and be spent. Can you keep doing it cheerfully when they forget to thank you? When they forget to thank you the second time? I will very gladly spend and be spent. Wonder. Thank you, Lord, for giving us such wonderful verses and such men who actually put them into practice. What is it true love helps prepare another person to meet Christ and to be accepted of Him? It doesn't allow compromise. It's tenacious for doctrinal truth. It's not sentimentality. It is very objective. It's very objective with the Bible. How can I help that person be more fruitful in their life to please God better? How can I help that person line up their life with the Scriptures more perfectly? That's love. It's not some fuzzy-wuzzy, let's, I'll accept you if you accept me, you know, there may be a few little differences between us, but let's both love Jesus. It has nothing to do with that. No one in the Bible ever talked that way. No one ever talked that way in the Bible. That isn't the Jesus Christ the Bible. The Jesus Christ the Bible is you don't like it my way, hit the highway. If you're not for me, you're against me. No greater love hath a man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. That's pretty sacrificial. John 15:13. Empathy. In Hebrews 13.3, the subject of empathy is the ability to put yourself in another person's shoes and feel their feeling. Absorb their pain and comprehend their pain and trouble that they're in. Empathy. It's taught in the Bible, but not by that word. Empathy is what it means, though. Hebrews 13.3 says, remember them that are in bonds. There were, people, there were Christians in prison for the gospel's sake. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them. And them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. When my stomach has the flu, my whole body takes the day off. Well, you know what, I hope you know what I mean. I mean, some days you have to go do some things anyway, even if your stomach has the flu. But your body is very compassionate toward your stomach. Your, your body takes care of the other parts of it. And we should be able to, when, when somebody is suffering... And there's, there's parents and a brother in here who are losing a son and a brother. That should be, that should be twirling in our minds often so that we can empathize with that. That is, that is a serious, serious trial of their faith that the Lord's bringing. And we want that churning in our hearts and our souls, leading us to prayer, leading us to an encouraging word, leading us to love them, leading us to pray for them. All church members would be given to hospitality. Romans 12, 13. Distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. When you're given to something, you are vulnerable to it, you are weak to it, it overwhelms you, you do a lot of it. You, You understand when it says given to wine, don't you? Somebody who drinks too much, when it says given to hospitality, they're just doing it all the time. You know, some of you, when you show hospitality to others and I come and commend you, you say, don't, don't commend me, it's not worth it. Oh, yes, it is. Because it's it's fulfilling the Bible, and it's good to see it. Where's love to find the best for us? The fullest definition of love is in First Corinthians thirteen four through seven, where it says, "Love is." Amen. No, it doesn't. It says, "Love suffers long, and is kind." When you read that definition, those fifteen phrases, isn't it true? that most of them are what we would call negative aspects of love. By a negative aspect of love, we mean when somebody hurts our feelings, we just overlook it and forget it and don't let it bother us, a little not even a little tiny bit. Most of the phrases in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 are of that nature, rather than the positive ones like baking a cake for them. That's the second phrase. Love suffers long and is kind. You bake a cake for somebody. But do you know when it says suffers long, it means that you suffer. You put up with them because they irritate you. And you do it for a long time, and it goes, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil, even though they're being pretty evil towards you. You think no evil about them. You believe all things, you hope all things, you endure all things, you bear all things. Those are a bunch of ugly terms. But that's a definition of love from God's standpoint, because God knows one of the greatest things we can do in loving others is to forgive them, is to forbear them. That's a Bible term, forbear, putting up with them doing things against you and just ignoring them. And we forgive them. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Look at Ephesians 4. The beginning of the chapter, the end of the chapter says the same thing. It is such a common theme in the Bible. If God's forgiven us 10,000 talents, can't we forgive someone else 100 pence? What's the worst you can do to me? kill my wife okay so kill my wife make me watch kill my wife please understand me could i forgive a person that repented for killing my wife i better be able to do you know why because i'm a serial killer Are you a serial killer? Thank you. One fellow saint. I hope there's more. I'm a serial killer. I have killed so many more by violating the sixth commandment through Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. The 10,000 talents that God's forgiven me is still so much greater than what a person might do. And I I don't like making the comparison, but I'm I'm trying to get a point across by drawing a, a severe extreme example because no one's ever killed your wife and made you watch. The worst thing they've done to you is they didn't run up and hug you and tell you the greatest thing they've ever met. That's, that's about as bad as it gets. They, they opened their car door and put a ding in yours. They didn't give you $10,000 for Christmas. You, you blame people for all the, the, the foolish things compared to that great thing. God's forgiven us 10,000 talents. What is love? It's overlooking all these little things that people do to irritate us. And we will irritate each other. There's parts of my body that hate other parts of my body. There's better parts of my body that look down on other parts of my body. My quadriceps and hamstring thinks that my biceps and triceps are pitiful. Pitiful. I can do ten times what you can do, you little scrawny pencil neck. You know, my body does that. And the Lord gave us all kinds of members. You know, I can look at certain parts and don't tell me to show you because they're, they're few. I can look at a few and say, you're, you're decent. But then I can look at other parts and they're homely. They're ugly. I keep them well covered. You'll never see them. You, you can shout amen. amen. <laughs> You'll never see them. But that, the Lord describes our body that way to say the less comely parts of our body, what do we do? We bestow upon them... More abundant honor. So, the reason that people that the Lord puts together in a church the people that He does, because everyone in a body is here by God's choice. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18. God hath chosen the members of a body. We all are going to irritate each other for the maximum potential of our church. Because God has ordained every bit of irritation that comes up in every single congregation of saints throughout the whole world. You were made for me, and I was made for you. I was made to irritate you, and you were made to irritate me in certain respects to see if we're going to show each other love in spite of our irritating differences. It's true of every, it's true of every church. That's what First Corinthians twelve, thirteen through 27 is all about. And I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I wish I was gracious. I wish I had a good pulpit manner. I wish I had a good personal manner. I wish I looked good. I wish I spoke good. I'm grady. I know all those things. But the Lord did that to see if we would love each other. And I just think He is magnificently wise. If He had put us all in here with good old buddies, you know how we'd be coming to church? To sit around with the good old buddies and have a good time among ourselves as a social club and instead of having to come in here and I can't stand three quarters of you I said that for your sake. I, but yet I know the Bible tells me to love you. I said that for you because I don't want. Don't write me, please. Don't. It's not a social club that way. It's we've chosen to love each other, and I'll tell you very plainly. I've met people out. You know, I, I had, I had friends. I had, I had acquaintances. In the stores that I ran, or in the bank that I had, couldn't care less about them. I'm glad I never hear from them because I don't have—I don't want to say to them because we don't—we don't think about a single thing alike, except, well, how can the bank make more money? But there's nothing in common. But you know, among you, we have so many things in common. Amen. Even though there's little things, you know what? We got to get rid of all this. Blow them away. It is the glory of a man to pass over a transgression. If I irritate you, will you please practice Psalm Proverbs 19:11? It is the glory of a man to pass over a transgression. His discretion will defer his anger. You've done more of it than most because you're my brother. That's why he said amen. But listen, if you'll do it to me, I'll do it to you. And we've got to do that. That's what love is. Yeah. Love is the discretion of a man deferreth his anger. He puts I'm not going to get upset about that. Are you kidding? That's so small. I'm not going to get upset about that. And it is his Glory. To pass over a transgression. A glorious man is able to just blow it off and forget it. It's a wonderful way to live. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us all these things, things that you've heard before. This is nothing new. I know that it's nothing new. I get scared when it's not something new. I don't like bringing something old. But I am told to bring things old and new out of God's treasury for you. And I'm told by Peter, I will stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance as long as I am in this tabernacle. You're going to have to kill me to get it to stop. Because at times I have to preach to you again the love of the brethren. Because the Bible says, let brotherly love continue. Because the Lord knows that there are so many things that can crop up, pop up, that will hinder us from loving each other. Don't worry about how we're all treating you. Treat us better. I'll try to treat you better. This is what we have to do every time we think about it. In in 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul told the Thessalonians, I am so glad to hear about your love toward one another, but I pray that it will abound yet more and more. That's what we want. Boy, are there rewards that come with it. Look at this passage, Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. How would you like a prophet's reward? How would you like to get John the Baptist's commendation in heaven? Or how would you like to get... A righteous man's commendation in heaven, though you know you're not a righteous man. Matthew chapter 10, verse 41. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. That's pretty exciting. He that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. If, you will, if you'll receive somebody and accept them as a person and serve them and do something good for them just because they're a righteous man, when you stand before Jesus Christ, you'll get a righteous man's reward. Next verse. Verse 42, And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only. No Kool-Aid. No soda. That's going too far. That's above and beyond. That's just excessive love. A cup... I want you to read every word of God. Whosoever shall give give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. If you take a cup of water and give it to a man for the purpose, for the reason, for the cause, that he is a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, he shall in no wise lose his reward. When the righteous are standing at Jesus Christ's right hand as his sheep, and he will say to them, you took me in when I had no place to go. You fed me when I was hungry. You clothed me when I was naked. And they're going to say, when did we ever do that, Lord? And he's going to say, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren. So The point being right here, what's the reward of loving others? First of all, it's being like the Lord Jesus Christ. It's keeping his commandment. It's showing the work of God in your heart better than any other single thing you can do. But then, it's that Jesus Christ will never forget a single act that you have done for others. If you go over there and clean that difficult floor in that fellowship hall, I know it's difficult. That thing needs to be stripped and rewaxed. If you go over there and clean that, if you clean the grounds, if you clean the bathrooms, I know they stink. If you clean, and, and nobody knows, nobody knows what I just did. Nobody knows that right now I have my arm up to my shoulder in this toilet. The Lord does. The Lord does. That's a huge reward that he remembers it. Look at Hebrews 6.10. Hebrews 6.10. There's 168 hours in a week. Don't be too jealous about racing out of here in the next one minute. Hebrews 6.10. Look, look, look at these words. Hebrews 6.10. for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. How do you show your love of the name of God? I love the name Jesus Christ. Oh, how I love Jesus. How do you show it? According to this text. How how do you really get down and show it? In that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. Serve other people. Clean toilets. Provide snacks. Do the janitorial. Love. Help. Encourage, comfort, serve the saints. But here's the great point. We will sometimes forget to thank you. We will sometimes forget to praise you. I'm sorry on both counts. But God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love. Isn't that encouraging? He is not unrighteous to forget. We're talking about the reward of loving the brethren. The Bible is filled with things like this. Thank you, Lord, for telling us The the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20 gives us some red writing in the middle of a black book. And the red writing is, I taught you when I was with you the words of the Lord Jesus, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is why we love the brethren. Because God commanded us to, it's the second commandment. It fulfills the second table of the law. It shows the greatest work of God in our hearts. It proves that we have eternal life. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. First John 1 John four seven. And he does not he is not unrighteous to forget our labour of love, and there is pleasure in giving that is greater than pleasure in getting. Amen. Some of you know that. Some of you don't like to receive anything because you'd rather give it. Because you know that. It's a secret of the givers. That it is more fun, more pleasant, more profitable, more happiness results from giving than getting. Isn't that true? It feels better going this way than this way. Oh, it's, it's, the Lord tells us that. You know, we live in liberty under the New Covenant, but Galatians chapter 5 says, don't let that liberty cause you to devour one another, but in love serve one another. That's a danger. So we want to serve, let brotherly love continue. How can we grow in it? We need to because the Bible says that we need to increase it and grow in it. We want to abound in it more and more. One thing is, if God loves you, we should turn that love to others. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Just give me a couple more minutes, please. I, I know what time it is and I'm sorry. I'm sorry again. And if you'd practice brotherly love, you'd forgive me right now because I'm saying I'm sorry. But why do I continue on? Because I'm not very sorry. I want to finish a few points. I want to... Just think, how do we get more of it? One way is to think about God's love for us. We want to translate that to others. Here's how it's worded in Philippians chapter 2. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, is there some consolation in Jesus Christ? This is a rhetorical question. I hope you have the right answer. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, Is there some comfort of His love towards you? If any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, has God shown any compassion and bowels and mercies towards you? Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. Can't we be just like that? Having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Let's show that toward each other. Let's have the same mind that God has toward us. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Let none of us seek to put ourselves up, but in lowliness of mind, let each of us esteem other better than themselves. That is how you get happy. That is how you please God. That is how you fulfill the New Testament. Nothing through strife or vainglory. We don't do anything because we're fighting. We don't do anything because we want praise. But in lowliness of mind, we want to esteem others better than ourselves. Then, verse 4, Look not every man on his own things, but on the things of others. Before you get in your car, turn the key and drive out onto the road. Meaning you're going to go home to your little tiny life. Before you do that, can you think of someone else that has some thing going on in this church and go say something to them. It could be a bad thing, therefore you can... Mourn with them, or weep with them, or sorrow with them, or comfort them. It could be a good thing. You can encourage them, rejoice with them. Look not every man on his own things, but on the things of others. We're good at looking at our own things, aren't we? Your minds are probably twirling right now with the number of things you need to do this afternoon. Well, what about the things that somebody else in here needs to do? What about the things that Deborah, Francis, Sarah, and Gloria are going to do this next week? We should want to give them a word of encouragement. Okay, it's, we need to train it into our children. One of the greatest things you can ever give your children, well, the two greatest things, let's put it scripturally, the two greatest things you can ever teach your children, love of God, love of others. You know when a child is the unhappiest? When they're selfish and they're not getting their way. If you can teach them to get outside of themselves and go serve someone else, they'll be made instantly better. You need to teach that to them from their, from the youngest days to serve others. There's no respect of persons in love of brethren. Church is not a date. Church is not a family reunion. Church is not where we go to see friends. We go to see everyone and encourage them in the Lord. You know, the, the, the idea, the idea of a, of a father getting out of his car Open the door for his wife. She stands beside him. He buttons his suit coat. And they walk into church together with a little string of chickens behind them. And they take a pew and they all line up. And then when the service is over, they all follow back out. And he opens the doors and they get in. They go to McDonald's and have burgers. That isn't, that isn't a New Testament church. Right. That's a Catholic image that you have in your heads. Catholic image that you have in your heads. No one did anything... They just went and did a church thing for an hour or two hours or three hours and then went home. A New Testament church, that family would have got in there and gone like this. The wife would have been over-exhorting people that she had in her conscience and on her soul that she was going to exhort and comfort the Lord. The husband would be overdoing it with another set of people. The children would have gone not to their buddies... But the children would have gone and greeted the old ladies, greeted the little children, encouraged and provoked others. That's what a family should look like in the church of God. It's not a date. It's to come in here and serve others. Say, I'm serving my date. You're selfish. Hear, Hear me. There's a thousand other things that could be said. Truly, a thousand other things that could be said. The Bible's filled with it. The older I get and the more the New Testament is read... There's so much about love of the brethren. And it's so practical, and it solves most every single problem that I ever hear about or see. And it is so different from the faith-based, mission-field ambition of so many other churches. Love of the brethren. Because if we would all love each other the way that the New Testament describes, and that we would provoke one another to love and to good works... We would be directing everyone toward heaven to love God more, and we would be directing each other to love each other more. There would be no differences in here. There would be no disunity. There would be no discord. And the Lord would be very well pleased with us because he loves a unified church that is in agreement that loves one another and is loving him. We would be the ultimate church. That's two commandments. I hope that I've said enough to help you, and I hope that we can go out of here before we go out of here that we'll think about something in the life of another and, and see what we can do about it or see what we can say about it. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.